Disrupting Japan, Episode 43. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening. Today's story is one that will resonate with many of our overseas listeners. It's about how three foreigners in Japan are shaking up one of the most conservative industries in the country. And one of the most conservative industries in the world, actually. Now, Paul Chapman and his co founders, Ross and Mark, started Money Tree about four years ago as an app to help consumers manage their spending. But the product and the company has grown into so much more than that over the last three years, and they're on the brink of doing something even bigger. We'll talk with Paul about the founding and the growth of Money Tree. And also go over some practical advice for foreigners or anyone else really wanting to start a business in Japan. Japan still has a reputation of being a closed market, but let's face it if a group of Westerners with no Japanese co founder can have this kind of an impact, then things are really opening up here. So let's get right to the interview. So, I'm sitting here with Paul Chapman of Money Tree. If I was to describe it, I'd say Money Tree is mint for Japan. It's so much more than that. <laughs> and I think you can explain it much better. It's an app that shows you where, when, and how you're spending your money. And how does it do that? Well,、uh, we use data aggregation technology. So, we've built a virtualized browser that can do everything a human、uh, and it will log into your bank account, credit card, loyalty points, digital money accounts online. It'll pick up your balance. All the transactions you've had, and it will clean the data because a lot of that data is not too clean.、Mm-hmm. Um, it, will, uh, it will categorize it using artificial intelligence that we. So it'll say if it's a clothing purchase or if it's a taxi cab or a business expense. Yes, exactly. Got it. And then you get to see that on your phone. And the idea was we wanted to make finances as easily accessible as email and as instant as chat because. Chat tells you things. Like, you know, someone sends you a chat message, bing, it, it arrives. Listeners in America and Europe will think this is an obvious idea. Yeah, it's obvious. But this was kind of a radical concept in Japan when you started out in、um, 2012. The assumption was you're not a bank, you can't do this. In a country like Japan,、uh, you need permission for a great many things. We, we didn't ask for the bank's approval or the card company's approval. The only person that we wanted approval from, from was our users because we think it's their data. Banks may have、uh, a license to access it, to use it in many different ways, but ultimately it belongs to the person whose account, whose credit card it is. So, if I, if I understand your technology right, yeah. Ross ran me through it before. Money Tree, behind the scenes, it's logging into your users' bank accounts on their behalf, collecting the information, collating it, making it easy to read, much、yeah. easier than the banks themselves present it,、mm-hmm. presenting it in a comprehensive, easy to understand interface. That's right. So, doing this with the user's permission, but without the bank's permission, was that the part people were skeptical about at first? The, most, the thing most people were skeptical about was whether or not anyone would use it. Founders of Money Tree are not Japanese. We don't come from big Japanese companies or even big foreign companies. Three guys, two Americans, one Australian. And、uh, we thought, look, we can do this. Let's go do it.、Uh, but people said to us, one, one investor, potential investor, said, Not a single Japanese person will put their username and password to their bank in your app. So, was the, the skepticism that the consumers just wouldn't trust a small foreign owned company or that the banks just wouldn't allow it and you wouldn't get traction without their permission? 
I think most investors thought we'd get away with it, at least for a while. Mm. The real issue was whether or not people would trust us, whether they'd use us. Japan is a very privacy and security conscious country. One of my co-founders, Mark, he calls it uninformed optimism. Uh-huh. When you don't know much about something, you're like, of course we could do that. It'd be so easy. But that was That's a good thing. how most startups start, actually. <laughs> We thought we knew a lot. <laughs> we did something that was very new. Built an app that didn't have a website for you to, you know. We just said, no, just do it all on the iPhone. And uh, so Apple liked that a lot because it really showed what iOS could do. But from a UX, a user experience perspective, it was difficult to fit such a big, expansive concept into a few small screens. Yeah. Things have certainly turned around and you've just closed a new financing round mm-hmm. where all of the major Japanese banks, previously skeptical, yes. are now on board. <laughs> so what changed? I was having lunch with the deputy president of one of the large banks, along with four other startup CEOs. So the banks are starting to really look at innovation, uh, and in particular fintech. And he said, you know, what's changed? And I said, well, we were standing on the shoreline trying to surf, and then we realized, you know, we needed water. And so we moved out to where the waves were, and then boom, we're surfing. And that wave is fintech. So that you think the Japanese banks have just realized that the innovation in fintech is important and they want to be a part of it? Yes. Okay. Getting investment money from a large Japanese company and getting partnership and cooperation from a large Japanese company are often very different things. Yes. So are you guys looking at partnerships or is the investment more a vote of confidence that what you guys are doing are interesting and we want to keep an eye on? Money can come with strings attached or no strings attached. We wanted no strings attached. We were free to work with everyone. We were specific about that. So the two largest accounting software vendors in Japan are Yayoi and TKC. They're both our partners. They both use our platform. We kind of got lucky. We ended up talking to both of them around the same time. And when the discussion got to, with at least one of them, exclusivity, we said, ah, well, actually, we're already talking to the other guys and we have for a while. Our head of brand communications, Zach, he always says, you know, the best partner is a partner who needs you. There's a lot of talk about corporates partnering with startups, and I would only ever do that when they really need us. Otherwise, the balance of power is, it's not beneficial for the startup. So on both sides, the the investment was sort of uh, arm's length? They wanted to make money. I mean, it's an ROI-focused investment. Okay. And fundamentally, we said, look, we're not for any one bank. What's the plans for the, the use of funds? Are we going to see a new sure. direction, new products rolled out? We started out as a PFM, Personal Financial Management App. To support the app, we had to build a data aggregation platform. And you can think of this as a thin layer that we, that we place on top of every financial institution website. And it makes it all accessible from your phone. It turns all that data into basically the equivalent of like a mail server. So like when you open up your email client, mail comes in, you open up MoneyTree, all your financial transactions come in from 2,400 different data sources in Japan. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. So the partnership we have with someone like TKC or Yayoi, those accounting vendors, they're using our platform to get access to transactional data for their accounting software users. Are we going to be seeing a lot more of these sort of uh, partnerships, maybe more on the, the B2B side with invoice reconciliation, things like that? The goal was to help financial institutions interact and engage better with their own customers. And the flip side of that goal is we wanted to empower the bank's customers to make better decisions and to have a more, even, a more equal relationship. Well, let's tell me about your customers. Who's using MoneyTree? What do they like about it? What do they get out of it? Okay, so most of the people using our apps are in their 20s and 30s, some early 40s. Uh, so it's definitely focused more on the, on the, the, the youth segment. Um, not so much teenagers. 
Well, they don't have a whole lot of money anyway. No, they got mom and dad. (laughs) (laughs) We have almost 50-50 males and females using the app. Most of our users are on iOS. Um, When we started, this is interesting, a lot of VCs said, you know, why aren't you making an app for Android? And we said, well, because no one's, at the time, really wasn't an app ecosystem. It took a lot of flack for that. But then fast forward to like last year, people are saying, why would you do Android? iOS is at 60% market share. So fintech, particularly consumer-facing, finance is incredibly analytical, data-driven, and sterile, quite frankly. So to make it attractive for consumers, well, let me ask it this way. Is there anything that you'd say is uniquely Japanese about money tree, either the interface or the product set? So loyalty points. Points are big in Japan. I, I like to say that Japan is uh, living in the future when it comes to points. The Japanese people like points because they like, they like the process more than the outcome. So just storing up points and hitting different it's levels. It's fun to collect points and yeah. see the balance go up. We argued a lot about points in the first year. Do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it. The funny thing is, ever since I've put my, my, you know, my point cards in Money Tree, I like seeing them go up. I like seeing the, you know, the balance go up. And huh. I'm like, oh my God, either I've become really Japanese or this is, this is something that everyone is subject to. Because it's, it's, the, it's the natural gamification. I, I can't make my salary go up every month, <laughs> but I can make my points go up. And that's true. I mean, in Japan, everything has a loyalty point system. Yeah. You know. And the, the really, I mean, the, the one defining feature of points in Japan are the common point schemes. So, so like you go to the convenience store and you say, I'd like to pay with my points. So one point is one yen. That's really powerful. I mean, in a lot of countries, you've got credit card points. And great, I can go flying somewhere when I've spent $100,000. Kind of about the question on the same topic. So finance is, it's mathematical, it's clean. And yet there are very, very few global fintech companies, yeah. particularly those that are, are customer facing. Do you think that fintech is inherently local? It, it depends which piece of the problem you, you're tearing off. If you're doing something to do with lending or uh, taking deposits, payments, anything that has compliance attached to it, it's inherently local. But what about like, just how people interact with the interface, mm. how, they, how they think about money? Do you think there's a significant difference from country to country? We had a lot of hypotheses about that going into Money Tree. Those hypotheses were around the fact that Japanese traditionally think of money as a dirty topic. Mm. You know, 150, 160 years ago, Japan was still feudal. And in the feudal system, um, merchants were at the bottom of the, of the heap. That bit of cultural memory still persists. So we wanted to say hmm. it's Money Tree because it's organic. You know, I wonder if that's related to why loyalty points are so big here. Because it's not money, really. It's like being in a club. That's very funny. So one of the problems about doing a, a finance app for consumers is that people will say, hey, check out my cool app. Oh, I can't show you anything but the icon. <laughs> they don't want to show their balances. And so uh, the one screen people are happy to share, in fact, they want to brag about is, look at my point balances. I have 50,000 T-points. So that is it. So people will share point balances where they would never think about sharing yen balances. Money is inherently not social. There's, I mean, and this is, this is universal, actually, not just Japan. Um, no one likes to talk about how much they've got and how much they're willing to spend because I guess ultimately, you know, those relatives from the countryside will come and say, can you lend us some money? So our way of dealing with this is partnering. As of today, uh, we have 10 partners on the MoneyTreeLink platform. So what kind of partners? What are, they, what are they doing? So we have about seven accounting software companies, two startups, and one mega bank. Like tax preparation is a good example. Tax prep, okay. You want to do your tax? Uh, that's easy. You can use Yayoi to do that. Uh, we have another startup that does cloud accounting called ASAS Japan. On the tiny startup side, we've got a company called Crowdcast. They do expenses. 
Uh, one more called Make Leaps. Uh, I think Jason Winder. The He's been CEO, on the show. He's been on the show. They do invoicing. So it sounds like you're moving from becoming a mobile fintech app to becoming a platform for accessing bank information. At a practical level, yes, that's right. But that's the, a great place to be. I mean, <laughs> I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty cool. But the the, the vision is bigger. Well, let's start with the financial system today. You have lots of banks. There are some connections between banks. Um, there's also MasterCard, JCB, Visa, yep, yep. American Express with payment networks. But the fact is banks don't talk to each other. If you want to apply for a new account, you have to show the same paperwork that you did to the other three banks that you already use. If you want to apply for a loan, you probably have to print out your, your statements online or use the paper ones they sent you in the mail, take it to them and show them. This is kind of crazy. It's 2016 and we're working really on an augmented paper system. What MoneyTree can do is we can, we can connect all of that and consensually put the individual, the customer at the center of that and we give them the power to choose you know, who they'll share it with and for what purpose. Let's back up a bit because I think the story of the founding of MoneyTree is going to be of, of interest to a lot of our listeners. Basically, three foreigners in Japan who decided to start a company. You've got some experience doing that yourself. I, I do, but... Uh, not as recently as you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so the founders of MoneyTree came together to do another company. So we all quit our jobs. And I, I was working for a Japanese professional services firm as head of IT. And one weekend, golden week, and uh, we said, look, you know, this iPhone's getting really popular. Why don't we try and make an app for it? So one of us bought a new, iMac, uh, a new MacBook. I had uh, an old Mac and someone else had a ThinkPad, which he was literally writing code and sending it to the other guy to then compile. Very manual. Yeah. And we made an app that was a language learning app that didn't quite crash every time we ran it. It was pretty terrible. So we spent about two years evangelizing and learning how to make a good app. We never got featured by Apple. Uh, we made some Android apps as well. So where, were you making apps for other people at this point? Or were you just uh, like spitballing with your own ideas? We were resisting the idea of working for other people. Uh-huh. We did a little bit of it because we wanted to build a product company. We didn't want to be just uh, you know consultants. We did all sorts of things. We had, ser- we had seminars. We, uh, we taught at university. We wrote a course for an Australian university for postgraduate students in computer science to learn how to write programs in Objective-C for, for iPhone. So, so how long did this long weekend phase last? The long weekend lasted about two and a half years. That's a long weekend. <laughs> <laughs> we used to joke, it's, a long, it's always a long weekend of work. There were three <laughs> of us, um, so it wasn't like... What was the trigger? Did it just kind of come to one of you and you said, I've got it? Uh, for money tree? Mint for, yeah. So our three big apps to date were a Japanese language app, then Animal Phone, and then Money Tree. But after doing Animal Phone, we realized, look, we need a bit more capital. We can't do this just with three guys. We need designers, we need marketing people, we need budget for advertising. Around the time, the person who became our chairman, a gentleman called Jonathan Epstein, he said, look, you know, I want to do something that transcends the silos in Japan. He said, I've seen this thing called Mint. And we're like, oh, yeah, we saw Mint, but Mint isn't really for mobile. And so we started from first principles. How do we solve the problem? Not, oh, Mint's doing this, let's do this. So Jonathan sort of gave you the idea of the space. Yeah. And you, you and the team engineer it. At first, we thought he wanted us to build it for him on spec. And by that stage, we were looking for income. So we're like, oh, maybe we'd do that. And he's like, no, no, I want you to do this company or not. And, like, and so uh. then it took about six months to convince my co-founders that you need to do this. So that was 20, early 2012. So did you raise 
funding or before launch or after launch? Uh, so Jonathan and I were both uh, bootstrap round investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so we put some of our own money in. I didn't take salary for a year. Everyone else took almost no salary. We started building and we had two other guys with us. One who was, sorry, a guy who was our intern when we were teaching at university and a guy who reached out to us through the long weekend website who said, I want to come to Japan and do an internship. They're both still working for us. As three foreigners and an additional foreigner intern, your objective is to reach a larger Japanese consumer audience. There's a big gap there. How do you, how do, you do that? With a bit of luck. Let's look back at 2012. Feature phones in Japan, still in the majority. Even now, I think like 45% of phones in Japan are feature phones. At the time, the quality of domestic apps in Japan was really poor. And it's not because Japan doesn't have good programmers, it's because there wasn't a lot of money going into smartphones. Well, there's a reason for that. So I, I had a friend who, who would make feature phone apps.、Uh, it was a dictionary app. He could make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for one app. In the Apple ecosystem, you got paid a buck once. And Apple took 30 cents.、Mm. And so, of course, no one wanted to leave you know, that rich, rich source of income.、Um, but it was dying. And it died quicker than everyone thought it would. <laughs> We were clever guys. We're like, yeah, it's going to change the world for sure. And then hopefully Apple will feature us once. We got featured more than once. So we got Apple the year twice. All right. So one of the big dailies that, had to, that was introduced to us by Apple for the interview. They interviewed the top iPhone app and the top iPad app for that year in Japan. They put the iPad app like, on. Page one of, this, of the digital version of this. They, they buried us on page three of the same article. Like, why?、Yeah. We're a finance app. You're a finance publication. What's going on? They didn't want to be seen as promoting this thing that Apple had somehow and rather unpleasantly chosen as App of the Year. But Apple knew we were a game changer. They said it to us. So you, you had the right product early. You know, we just thought, let's make something really, really good and do whatever we can to promote it. We didn't know how to market ourselves, we didn't know how the game worked. And to be honest with you, The game is a little bit stacked against startups in Japan when it comes to the media versus.、Oh, so. There are a lot more gatekeepers, and the separation between、um, advertising and editorial here is a little bit more blurred.、Mm. So the opportunities for free coverage are lessened. Oh, very much so. And that's the way it works. I'm not complaining, but we didn't know that. So, you know, one thing that we also weren't aware of until we started was that coming from a big company and having an MBA was seen as better qualifications for a startup. And having built a startup and sold it. Yeah, that's changing now, slowly, but.、Uh... Three, four years ago,、um, I would say to people, oh, my first startup was acquired by Thompson Reuters. Perhaps you've heard of them. <laughs>、um, no, it wasn't a huge company, but we built it from literally nothing no venture capital, no outside investors. We just built a product, and it was a hard road, and we did this. And they said, but you have an MBA. Japanese startups tend to spend a disproportionate amount of money on advertising and marketing. Was it the tie in with Apple and having the right product at the right time that really propelled you? Or did you do a lot of marketing as well? We tried to do a lot of PR, and in the early days, we didn't do it very successfully.、Mm. Because we were really an exemplary app in the iOS ecosystem,、uh, we got featured a lot. You know, there were no secret arrangements behind that. We liked making a great iOS app. Apple was like, this is a great iOS app. And they pushed us, but we got featured for two weeks.、Uh, I mean, our servers practically melted down on the first day. I think a lot of people have said, We want to get behind you. And this is, this is not unique, but it's a lot less common in Japan than I'd say it is in the Valley. Something that you wrote in your article about paying it forward. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're starting to see more of it, but not enough quite yet. Not enough people are paying it forward in Japan like they do in Silicon Valley. And there's too many gatekeepers and, who want to take a pound of flesh before they help you. You know, I often say to people, Let me know how I can help you. Almost no one ever follows me up on that. And not, I mean it sincerely. Yeah, I know. It's, it's sad. People are almost cynical about it. But we're starting to see a change. So, do you think there was 
actually an advantage of being a group of foreigners running a company? Did that put you outside of some of these social obligations? And It did not help at all. If anything, people would be like, for instance, meeting a, a large regional bank. <gasps> what are you doing here? How did you get this meeting? Uh-huh. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, wait a second, you speak Japanese. I thought I'd have to do this in English, despite sending them an email in Japanese. It was not an advantage from our perspective. Now, perhaps because we would try things that other people would dismiss, well, that's probably an advantage. My business advisor from my first startup, a friend of mine for 20 years, she said to me, Paul, being a foreign entrepreneur in Japan is like being a female entrepreneur anywhere else. You have to be better than the standard. So everywhere else, people expect male entrepreneurs. And then as a female entrepreneur, they're like, oh, why are you doing this? You know, why, would you, why would you choose this path? As if you know, some special reason beyond what the male entrepreneur would give is needed. Every woman entrepreneur I've talked to, without exception on this show, has said that they've been able to turn it to their advantage. They can get a lot of press attention from it, so sometimes being different is good. I'll tell you where we're getting outsized advantage from it. Outside of Japan, for example, uh, MasterCard Start Path, out of 200 companies that applied, we were the only Asian company chosen. We like to think of as the future of Japanese companies. We think a lot more Japanese companies will be like Money Tree. We have 50% Japanese staff and 50% from seven other countries. And not everyone speaks Japanese, not everyone speaks English, but enough people speak both. <laughs> Let me have you answer the question I get most asked from my listeners. What's the best advice you have for foreigners who want to start a company in Japan? Don't do it. <laughs> no, that's a great answer. No, 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 no. It's not don't do it. It's only do it for the right reasons. What, what are the right reasons? Because you really want to do something that's going to make an impact. Not because you want to make money, not because you want to be cool and have all the girls go, oh, you're a CEO. Someone who seriously wants to start a business in Japan and they're really passionate and they've got a good idea, they think they can get other people to help them. Here's some advice. Make sure you have a balanced team. Don't have too many engineers. Have a, have a finance guy from day one. Find a senior advisor from the industry that you're in. 99% of the time, it'll be a 60, 65-year-old Japanese gentleman. Other things would be make sure you understand which game you're playing. What do you mean? When I was fundraising, we had to learn what game we were playing. We thought we were playing the same game that you know, pre-Series A Silicon Valley startups are playing. Uh. Show a cool product, show you know, traction, retention, all that cool stuff. But I think outside of the Silicon Valley ecosystem, Series A you have you need revenue and everything else. So when I say know what game you're playing, you need to know, you know what their perspective is and, and how the rules of that that little microcosm work. So it's just being aware of what the, the VCs and the banks are looking for? If I had to go back and do it again, talk to a lot more VCs about what they want and what, how to get funded. I wouldn't always talk to VCs and say, oh, I want advice. But I wouldn't actually ask for advice. I'd just tell them about my business. And that was really terrible, even in English. I mean, so I was, you actually go and ask for advice and listen. What a radical concept. Now look, in business, we listen to customers. VCs are another kind of customer. Yeah, it's, it's sales. At the end of the day, the VCs have to, put, they have to stake their reputation on you. So here's one killer piece of advice. And it comes from a VC here who said to me, we trust you now. We've known you for more than a year. That's know, them, the- know, them, know them long enough so that they, they feel comfortable that they can stake their reputation on you. Before I let you go, cool. I'm going to ask you what I call my magic wand question. So if I gave you a magic wand and I said you could change one thing about Japan, Japanese society, Japanese attitudes, Japanese banking system, to make Japan better for startups. What would you change? <laughs> so if I had a magic wand, Tim, and this could only be done with a magic wand, 
I would wave the wand and all of a sudden, you know, everyone would think that startups were much more interesting, much more safe. Let's try that product. Let's, let's, let's give them uh, you know, rental guarantee for that tiny office that they want as opposed to saying, sorry, you know, we can't do it. You're going to have to pay three months of rent in advance because who the hell are you? Oh, we just raised millions of dollars. Too bad. We don't know who you are. So do you think it's a general risk aversion or like an image of startups in particular, you mean? Small is risky in Japan and people think small is not to be trusted. Ah. And that needs to change because very small groups of people can affect really huge change with technology. The other day, I think Prime Minister Abe actually responded to a group of people online. This is the power of technology, of being able to have, get your, have your voice heard. The fact that the same people who benefit from it are suspicious of it is a little rich. Now, I understand why it's like that, but as one startup, I'd like to be able to help change that. Now, if I have my magic wand, it's done. I think in Japan especially, large is synonymous with quality and yeah. safe. In and of itself, big is beautiful. Yeah. A VC explained this to me. If a startup messes up, well, what can you do? But if it's a big company, well, they can pay compensation. And, but in my mind, it's like the big company will take you to court, you'll never see anything. Yeah. I can explain it like this. Japan is a society without an undo button. If you make a mistake, it's not easy to take it back. And I'll give you a really mundane example. All right. So let's say you, know, you move house. You need to pay for the water and the electricity and everything else. So you, you sign the, uh, the automatic debit approval form. My bank invariably will always not recognize my signature and say, I'm sorry, this is not you. Please fill it in again. Now, they don't, they don't send it back and say, just sign again. They send it back like, and say, this is wrong. And they send a new form. And I have to fill it all in by hand again. Start from zero. Start from zero. And that, that's, that's a cultural thing. Any process that you undertake in Japan, the penalty for getting it wrong is extremely high. So in MoneyTree, we made, we made certain to have only one or two scary buttons. That's the technical term, scary buttons. Okay, all right. And so everything else was undoable. Like, oh, you could undo this, you could undo that. And if it was a scary button, we'd actually, you know, we'd actually even pop up something that said, you agreed our terms and conditions because you're, you're giving us a bank password or you're registering right, right, right. or you're logging in again. So, you know, the society with no undo button means that everyone becomes risk averse. Everyone looks for the rules. Everyone then says, these are the rules. Even I just said it before. Learn the rules. Know which game you're playing. Unfortunately, then you think, I know what the rules are. This is the game. And then... Well, I guess that's one of the things that makes Japan both so difficult for disruption to take place and so ripe for disruption in general. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, listen, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't covered yet? So one of the problems uh, that a lot of Japanese startups face is that the ecosystem here is, has some unique attributes. And so, of course, something that's built for Japan, even if it is a, a product-centric company, if you listen to your customers too much and don't have this view of, will it work everywhere else, you make something that you know, they call a Galapagos solution. Only in, only only in Japan. Japan. Isolated island environment, unique to this environment. So people say to us, you know, could this work anywhere else, what you're doing? And, you know, we're a platform, we have our own apps. That should work everywhere. Because everywhere in the world we have the same financial system problem that the banks have these big gaps between them. It's like the internet of paper. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and photocopiers and scanners. And it's, it's a big mess and we could do better than that. But it's, it doesn't lend itself to a top-down solution. It's a bottom-up solution. So the way we're approaching that is by, is by bringing banks into this IT world. You're not taking IT to banks, you're bringing banks to IT. Kicking and screaming, no doubt. Kicking and screaming, no doubt. Because <laughs> their customers have the ultimate powers. They can go somewhere else. 
because most banks provide a very similar service to each other. We are one step further into that world than we were before because we have one of the Japanese mega banks implementing our API. They get it. How much they get it? Well, look, we're still trying to work out what this world is. Well, it's just the first step, though, but a really important one. It is. Yeah, I think it would be funny if uh, a country like Japan with very conservative banks, that if a country like Japan is actually where the company that becomes a big and meaningful company to you know, millions of people around the world, to the way they interact with financial institutions and financial service providers, if this economy creates that, that's going to be an amazing story. Well, I, I hope to be hearing that story about Money Tree in the years to come. Thanks, Listen, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Cheers. And we're back. I was really impressed with Paul's ability, well, the whole Money Tree team's ability, really, to walk that fine line of what is acceptable business behavior in Japan. They moved forward when many people told them that it would never work out, like many founders before them. But they also walked that line in accessing the financial data without the explicit permission of the banks. Now, nothing they did was remotely illegal or even questionable. But large institutions are very protective, and accessing a Japanese bank system without their explicit permission undoubtedly raised more than a few eyebrows. Now, the San Francisco School of Innovation teaches us that in this situation, the startup should loudly and publicly declare that the old ways and the current players are obsolete and out of date. And then, just like Uber and Airbnb, they should begin a public battle for mind share and market share. Money Tree took a different approach, one of pushing innovation forward while not stepping on anyone's toes, at least not publicly. And now the industry is taking its first steps of coalescing around them. It's a group of Westerners who have executed a nearly perfect Japanese startup strategy. If you've got a story about starting or growing a business in Japan, Paul and I would love to hear about it. So come by Disrupting Japan slash Show 043 and let us know what you think. And when you drop by, you'll find all the links and sites that Paul and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of the post. And most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.